0: Hey there, and welcome to The Post, a Redemption Church podcast. I'm your host for today, J.P. Gaylord. We've got a great show for you today. We'll be touching on listener mailbag, as well as some quotes from Josh's sermon this past Sunday. Today, we are joined by Justin Kemmer.
1: How about that global warming?
0: It is hot out there Charles Kirby Hey everybody Also known as Charles Darwin uh, When it comes to all, Or Spurgeon Whichever Charles Charles the Great Whichever one you want to call me Charles likes changing his last name And Josh Tovey
2: It's good to be back with everybody It's, it's been a bit
0: It has been a while When was the last time
2: you were on? I, you know I did the little worship game For a few minutes
0: yeah, you did play the worship game. We did have some questions about that that we'll address in just a moment, but a more pressing issue is what's your favorite ice cream? Josh, we we asked this. We had a guest worship leader and we went around and said, what's your favorite ice cream? And everybody got to give their favorite ice cream except you, Josh.
2: If I'm, I, I have lots of ice creams I like, but one ice cream that I love is a Hudsonville flavor. And... It's double chocolate almond, and it is fantastic.
0: What makes this stand out?
2: The chocolate is double, and it tastes different than <laughs> single chocolate ice cream. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well put.
2: Uh, I, I've always liked double chocolate almond, and is, that's a really legit one.
0: The milk chocolate or dark chocolate?
2: It doesn't say that. I'm going to assume it's just milk, but they call it double chocolate almond. It's just got a richer chocolate flavor than most chocolate ice creams.
0: All right. There you have it. Uh, the ice cream to get this week is double chocolate almond. you heard it here. Charles, I don't know if we know what your favorite ice cream flavor is.
3: I really like uh, mint chocolate chip, but there's the Hudsonville mint uh, <laughs> I can't tell if you're being serious right dough. now. The extra indulgent mint cookie dough is really good. And then there's another one that's like the... Thin mint grasshopper one that I think Hudsonville had, like limited, very limited. I had it at Captain Sunday and they have, I think they have Hudsonville ice cream. So but it was fantastic. Like Charles anything is- with mint mixed with chocolate. I don't care if it's green. We have a white mint that we have right now, real good. I, I thought about actually changing the color to blue because I, you know, you got like that spearmint type of thing, just a blue mint. Get crazy food coloring. Come on, Josh. You I'd be it. like,
2: cookie monster ice cream then. But, but it's deceptively <laughs> it's totally not. That's a blue moon.
0: <laughs> Mint blue. <Damn>.
3: All right. <laughs>
2: well,
0: Charles is loving the mints. By the way, you're probably lucky Amy's not here because I'm sure she'd have something to say about <laughs> food <dare> coloring. How dare you? <laughs> Although, we do need to note, Amy, if you're listening, we, we are out of water. <laughs> and what else? And M&M's and, and we're dying here. You, we, seriously. We don't know what to do. <laughs> If you hear this, please call the office.
2: <laughs> please come home from vacation.
0: <laughs> so Charles, you're really doubling down on the mint or tripling down as it were. Oh, it's really good. I love mint. It just soothes the belly like mint What's
3: afterwards. your favorite
2: mint then of all the people that make mint chocolate chip ice cream?
3: Oh, that's tough. I do like Hudsonville. Uh, I, I think they all taste relatively the same. Is there a bad mint that anybody's had? That Listen, was like there's Ugh. definitely
2: quality scales on ice cream here. And that, that might need to be part of the discussion. What Hudsonville? Quality scales of brands.
3: Oh, okay. Go ahead.
0: So, what's your what's your Mercedes Benz of ice cream?
2: Homemade brand.
0: You make your own ice cream? No, that's okay. the brand. That's <laughs> the brand <name>. Family <laughs> Fair.
2: <laughs> Meijer doesn't always have anywhere. If you go to Family Fair, yeah, they make a homemade brand, and and you get like you get like vanilla chocolate chip in it. Like the vanilla is so creamy. It's
3: no, but let's talk about vanilla. The best vanilla is Aldi's specially selected vanilla. I don't care; it is phenomenal.
2: That's not better than homemade. I'm going to be clear: nothing from Aldi's no. is better than homemade. No. And I'm also going to say that Breyer's ice cream—everyone this knows this—is ice milk. I'm glad. I'm glad we're having this conversation.
0: Uh, Breyer's
2: ice cream is the worst.
0: Oh, that's what you mean by ice milk.
2: Yeah, it's ice milk ice cream. Gotcha.
0: Okay. 'Cause we were at Mercedes-Benz level.
3: We right? just went to <laughs> Dodge Omni
2: 1979, and it's it's Briars ice cream.
0: All right. So Briars is low on the totem pole. Justin, care to weigh in?
2: Uh, I well, mean. Well, first we I've, need
0: to know your favorite ice cream.
2: I've
1: hesitated a little bit because ice cream in general is overrated. <laughs> oh my
0: gosh, <laughs> this podcast is going off the rails quickly.
1: Uh, I don't I don't care to end my my, my meals with something sweet, and so if I eat ice cream, then I, I need to go back to savory to finish. That's, that's the lasting taste I want in my mouth. Is something savory, not sweet. Though ice cream's overweight, overrated, um, probably is overweighted as well. Um, everything in moderation, which I probably fail out fail at. I digress.
0: Yes, yes. Let's get back on track. <laughs> Favorite ice cream. Whether you have it at the beginning, middle, or end of your meal.
1: Yeah, so I'm more of on the the fruity side of things. And so there is Graters is the brand. Graters is good. Black raspberry chip. And it's a little deceiving because the chocolate chips are more like chocolate morsels. It is like mounds of chocolate in the black raspberry ice cream. Wow. It is very good. Now the homemade I,
2: brand has one too, like that, Okay. right? We had—I I thought I had it with you once—the raspberry chip. I don't know. I don't remember.
1: We did. I mean, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of mint too. I, I like the combination of mint Oreo. Mm, that that ups the game. Double chocolate almond is good. Um, my wife is is an ice cream snob, and so Affogatos in Allendale—a a plug for for them. They serve Ashby's ice cream, which. Is good, ice cream. good. It's extra creamy. Um, they have some great flavors, but I'm partial to the key lime pie. Ooh, okay. Ice cream from from there as well. Can but I, I also just had maybe maybe this gets off track of the ice cream brand. Whether because growing up, rainbow sherbet or, or sherbet or <laughs> sherbet, however you wanna however you wanna say Sh- that. Sure. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Oh, it's, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's somewhere in there. Yeah, for sure. Uh,
1: right tippy there. Cow, right down the street from our offices here in Granville, Michigan, has, yeah, that looks good. We're, no, no, that's Hudsonville. <laughs> we're, we're looking at a picture of a uh, Hudsonville so, ice cream that is not the graders. I'm just saying it's extra indulgent. You should try that one. I just had a, a, a delicious strawberry lemonade sorbet from Mm. Tippy Cow in Granville. It was kind of in the lane of a a frosted lemonade, if you will, from Chick-fil-A. It was delicious.
2: Now, back to the ice cream discussion. Hudsonville has so many flavors that you can't get at the store. You have to get them at ice cream places. So I'm a big, also a fan of chocolate and peanut butter. Reese's has always been my, my favorite candy. And so any chocolate, peanut butter combo is good. Reese's is good in anything, I believe, except maybe mint ice cream. Would, oh, or would strawberry. I don't if I But they have a flavor called crunchy munchy peanut butter that I grew up on. Growing up at Maranatha. That's really good. Another local joint that's really good is Mooville. Mooville makes their own ice cream. have heard of them. They're in Vriesland.
1: I have so not Close heard of that. to
2: Zealand. And they make their own. And if you're lactose intolerant, you can eat their ice cream because it's made from special cows with special milk. And you can buy their cheese, and you can uh,
0: the special eh. non-lactose cows. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's some kind of cow that lactose intolerant people can can eat, and it's it's good. We care about all, all your right? dietary needs. We here. do. We love you. Even you vegetarians, you're our friends.
0: Special note: vegans can also eat those cows because. They don't count as meat. Amen. <laughs> no, that one is not true. <laughs> true truth and a lie. That one's the lie. All right. Now, Josh, uh, we got to clear the air because I think you had some beef with the name Hudsonville ice cream.
2: Well, if you grew up in Hudsonville, you know that Hudsonville ice cream is not from Hudsonville. So, you know, it doesn't make me angry, but I think it originally started there, but it's not, it's not been there for years and years and years. Um, but I like their ice cream. It's fine. So.
0: So we want to encourage you to stop by the office where we have a petition to ask Hudsonville to rename themselves.
2: I don't know what to, but they probably don't want to rebuild their brand, I'm pretty sure. But
0: probably not. It is
2: served all over the state. So
0: Yep. All right. Well, quick question. Last question about ice cream is if you're having a party, we'll say there are twenty people coming over, what's your strategy to choose the ice cream flavors? Do you just go standard? chocolate, vanilla, maybe some strawberry, uh, or do you get really exotic? Justin.
1: You don't get the Meyer tub of vanilla. (laughs)
2: You certainly don't do that. That's called not loving your neighbor.
1: That's you going for quantity (laughs) over quality. That has a purpose for milkshakes. That's about it. We've decided to not go for the classic Neapolitan where there's a convenience there where you can offer three flavors out of one tub. (laughs) But what I would do is actually ax just the ice cream. I would get a container of Costco's or another choice of a deliciously delicious chocolate chip cookie.
0: Great use of adjectives there.
1: You get a very good chocolate chip cookie or maybe even a, a double chocolate chip cookie. You get your favorite vanilla ice cream with its mixes or chocolate ice cream. You let the ice cream soften a little bit and you make your own chipwich. Putting that delicious ice cream inside of two great cookies, you wrap those back up, refreeze them and when your guests come back you have a classic witch or ice cream sandwich if you will.
0: Will you invite me to your next party please? Yes. Awesome.
1: I'll make you a witch.
0: Charles, what's your strategy? We usually go something simple
3: like a chocolate chip like cookies and cream that's what I meant, cookies and cream and then something like uh, vanilla and chocolate and then maybe a mint, cause those are just classic flavors. So right now we have Mackinac Island fudge, mint, chocolate, and vanilla. And we bust them out and that, I've never had people complain. Okay. Either they say, yeah, I'll have a little bit of that. Cause you can even put it on stuff. Like if you have a pie, you put a vanilla on it,
0: Yeah. something
3: like that. So usually other people bring desserts or thing and you just have the ice cream just in case. Yep, that's good.
0: All right, Josh.
2: Double chocolate almond.
0: And that's all we offer.
2: And if you don't like it, more for me.
0: <laughs> I like that. That's not bad. Yeah, I think, uh, Charles, you're on to something with the uh, the vanilla and then maybe get a, a th- few niche flavors in there. Yeah. Niche flavors? We what do a-
2: like the... Costco has a very great vanilla, Was what you mentioned, right? Did <laughs> you mention that with your cookies? He mentioned the cookie no, chocolate chip. You, you go chip. for the
1: cookies, but you if you don't want to make another stop, you can get there great. They have,
2: they have great vanilla ice cream. They have cream. really great vanilla
0: ice cream, just mm. in general. So, Well, there you have it. I mean, you knew that we were here for spiritual advice and counseling and things like that, but we are also here to help you solve your ice cream questions. You're welcome. So, please feel free to call into the office and ask for Charles Kirby. Uh, well, let's move, off, move on. Uh, we had a question Pushback might be a little bit too strong. A comment, we'll call it, on a game we recently played. We played a game called, Is This a Worship Song or Is It a Love Song? And uh, I think we had a good time. I forget who won that, but uh, it was a good time. Justin won that, that's correct. Uh, And the question that came in is, uh, this person said they loved the love song or worship game a few weeks ago. So they did like it. My question is, Isn't our worship actually a love song? I've heard the Bible called God's love letter to us, and I know we are the bride of Christ. Shouldn't some worship reflect a love relationship? Also, David's psalm of thirsting for God and finding satisfaction in him feels very intimate.
2: I think very much there's love language involved in songs. I think the difference of what we're talking about is making sure the object we're talking about is clear. Okay. So if the object is the Lord, and we're using words and uh, phrases of affirmation about his character and about who he is, and it's clear we're singing to him, that's the difference, I think, between that and a normal love song. It's the object to who we're singing to and about that within the lyrics, it's giving us content that would with clarity speak to the character of who our God is.
0: So, so you wouldn't see the overall context of it being a worship service as giving clarity to otherwise potentially ambiguous lyrics?
2: I don't understand the question. So
0: like if, uh, for example, uh, there is a song uh, just for simplicity, there's a song out there by a group called Circuit Riders where the title is, I Love You. Uh, and I think the chorus is something like, I really love you, I really love, it's, it's essentially the same thing over and over mm-hmm. again, uh, without talking about the musical merits or the, the poetic merits of the song. Uh, I think the intention of the group that wrote it and churches that put it into practice and worship is, well, right. You could sing, I really love you to a boyfriend or girlfriend. You could also sing that about Jesus. And we're really hoping that given the context, uh, you understand that we're singing to Jesus and not your boyfriend or girlfriend because we're in church. Yeah,
2: I think we just have a conviction and redemption to uh, lead in what we sing with clarity. Okay. So we don't want you to have to guess if you're singing to your spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or the Lord. We would like it to be clear. Fair
0: enough. So, Fair enough. Um,
2: and so that's, a, I think, uh, intentionality that we would have behind the songs that we sing, although I do believe in what they're also saying, that it is out of a love for the Lord mm-hmm. and we are his bride. Those are all true statements. Uh, David's psalm, he, he's very intimate in that so I agree, right? And so um, I, think it's, I think that's how we would approach it.
0: All right. So just to be clear, uh, Charles, you're, you're not going to be closing your eyes and singing Rick Astley's I'll ne- I'm Never Gonna Give You Up and singing that in worship to Jesus. Or, <laughs> no, or hearing no. the Lord <laughs> sing that over you. <laughs> well,
3: that, that is a great song, and I'd rather just listen to it for the sake of enjoying it, but yeah, probably not applying it necessarily. But it is true. I mean, you can take truth of that song and apply it to my relationship with the Lord Jesus. I wouldn't say that it's worthy of church communal worship. Okay. But there is this aspect of I personally can listen to something and go, wow, that's an echo of the Lord's love for
0: me. And I think that's okay. Okay. Yeah. Rick Astley tapping into the heart of God. <laughs> Never going to. I got that song in my head. <laughs> oh, and you bring out a really interesting distinction too, I think, is the difference between personal worship and corporate worship, uh, which it sounds like, Josh, you were you were alluding to in your answer as well.
2: I was alluding to corporate specifically though. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think that's we going to be clear, I think, on the corporate side of it. But I think the Holy Spirit can use all sorts of things to bring worship back to the Lord.
0: All right. Well, excellent. We hope that answered our listeners' question. If you did not get the clarity you want, uh, please give Redemption Offices a call and ask for Charles Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I think we're going to move into a brief discussion on some things that came up in the sermon. Uh, Josh, one of the quotes uh, that really stuck out to me uh, that I'd like to dig into a little bit here uh, is you said, David's greatest concerns are not what's happening around him, but what's happening in him. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind unpacking that a little bit uh, and then maybe we can talk about what does that look like and why is that such a struggle for Christians?
2: Yeah. And the Psalm 63 is what we looked at this past week and David, the context of the Psalm really matters. And David's on the run and in, in the wilderness in the desert, and he's running from his son Absalom. Now David was King. He had everything that a King had. Um, so he would have had, you know, the, uh, a palace, a, a crown, a thorn or a throne. Uh, he would have had a people, he would have had authority, he would have had control. He would have had all of those things. Yet here we find him in Psalm 63 and he has none of those things because his son is trying to overtake his throne and his, and his power. Yet what he's most thirsty for in the desert experiences not even anything he had with the role of being king or even water. He's actually got a thirst and a hunger more for for the Lord more than anything. And so that statement that David's greatest problems were less about what's happening around him, more about what's happening inside him, was based on the fact that there's a lot going on around him. His life is hanging in the balance. His own son—think about how painful that would be—is trying is trying to take over, right? And yeah, in light of all that's happening, he's not saying that's his greatest problem. He is saying, God, me me being right with you, me finding satisfaction in you is of utmost importance to me. When I think about other aspects of scripture. I think about like James 4 1 that mentions why is there quarreling amongst us? Because you look at our world right now, it's a it's a joke. Like it's crazy what's happening in our world. Yeah, what a time for the church to be alive. It, you know what I mean? And so there's things happening that are that really push and pull and everything that we believe about our God and about the Bible, and and it's it's a great time for the church to be here. To take stands for what is right and and what in, is in tune with the Lord, but in light of all that, all the quarrelsome that's happening, james Four one tells us about the quarrelling that's happening, we must remember first and foremost that there's a there's a war waging within me and i and I think that's where it starts, you know, and I think we get the inside right with the Lord and that will then inform everything we're we're experiencing around us. But I often feel like David being in the desert that I allow what's happening outside of me to affect what's happening in me versus what's happening in me to affect what's happening outside of me.
0: Let me ask this then. um, Why is that such a struggle? Why do we... Tend to look to external circumstances or allow ourselves to be led by what's going on outside of us, rather than focusing on, uh, I mean, to put it a different way, the, the work of sanctification happening within us, if that is kind of one of the primary goals as a Christian, to grow in our own holiness. And it's no surprise to any of us, I've heard this said, I think here at Redemption and just even my entire life, that you're always going to have Problems. There's always going to be persecution. There there are always going to be difficult circumstances. And so that shouldn't come as a surprise to us as followers of Jesus. And yet here we've seen over the past two years, uh, various circumstances uh, come up and we seem to get so hung up on them. We totally forget about working on ourselves. Why is this such a struggle for us as Christians? I think
3: first thought was, even growing up, I think there's this distinction between the physical and the spiritual that is such a stark dichotomy that it's almost like the two don't meet. It's like, okay, I have this world that I live in and then I have my God world or my unseen world and my seen world. And I was never taught how to live in the midst of, I would say both of those together in a manner where the physical, or the tangible, if you want to say it that way, uh, circumstances are to be led by that which is unseen and spiritual. Like it seemed like Monday through Saturday was typically you do what you just do because that's what you do. You're a human. You're called to work. You're called to go to school. You're called to do those sort of physical things. And then on Sunday, that is the time when you cared for your soul. And so often I think personally, there's an unrealistic expectation of what Sunday is supposed to do in terms of healing, reprieve, refreshing, and you're inundated six days out of the week with that which is the physical circumstances of your life. And you don't necessarily see Sunday or the spiritual having much influence to put it in. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to, the two don't
0: seem to meld together very well. So it's a kind of compartmentalization. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, you brought that up as well. uh, The idea of compartmentalizing your life. Um, Would you mind refreshing our memory on what exactly you had said about that? Yeah,
2: we kind of talked hard about how we can, we talked about this progression that exists in the psalm with the three my soul statements, right? And I think what often happens, and I think we see it a lot in our city, is how the progression plays out and what your soul will pursue is going to be based on if your life is centered on you or centered on the savior, right? And so we see David having a striving after the savior to be center. That's why he cares about what the savior cares about, right? And we saw God's power, God's glory, God's love had a significant impact on on, on David's life. Um, yet for us, even at, In self-centeredness, we can still, quote unquote, pursue the Lord, be a part of church, go to a small group, serve the Lord, give our money. We can do all sorts of things, but we're doing it to find something in it, to fill something in us in a certain part of our life. But we don't want all that Jesus is. We want certain parts or aspects of who Jesus is. And so we compartmentalize him to certain parts of our life to but we still want to rule and reign over that, right? So we just talked about how that's actually a way of dethroning Jesus It makes the good news a nothing news, really. And so, yeah, I think it's something that we battle and something we struggle with in our culture. Um, another way to say it would be, would say like the buffet style of the God, buffet style of Jesus, right? I'll take this, I'll leave behind that. I'll take this, I'll leave behind that, you know? And I think that would be another example of compartmentalizing. And there's probably others that, that we could have, but maybe you guys have some other thoughts on that.
3: I was just thinking about the fact as you're saying that, it sounds like, and this is this is a we, we naturally are born rebellious against God and His ways, like, by nature children of wrath. But also as Christians, so those who are saved are being transformed, and maybe some of it is even like I think of most of the people I've talked to, like even older aunts and even grandmothers and the family. They just never been taught these things. They just, they just they just don't know. It has always been kind of flavored this direction towards, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. And so if we're looking at this Psalm as that which is a a total or holistic approach to following Christ, I would ask the question, what does it look like for us to actually help people understand how how to do that on a regular basis? Because we do come in with these assumptions of what it looks like, air quotes, to be a Christian. But if we just by nature do what we're taught, then we have to be taught otherwise.
0: Is this just the delicate balance of there are certain things that it should probably look like to be a Christian, but we end up flipping that into if I want to be a Christian, here's what I'm supposed to do you know it, it, if if i truly cherish the lord and and love him and have him at the center of my life then yes i'm going to read the bible then yes i'm going to pray then yes i'm going to go to church then yes i'm going to talk to others about jesus then yes i'm going to serve the people around me and rather than saying well this is kind of the overflow of my love for jesus uh, the compartmentalization says well how do i hit these metrics if you will uh okay uh, yeah sure i'll join a small group yeah sure i'll I'll carve out my five, yeah. 10, 15 minutes of quiet time so that when people ask, I can say, yeah, I'm reading through the book of James or whatever. Uh, and we, we've kind of flipped that. Well, this is the result of my love for Jesus into, see, this is, I, I love Jesus because I'm doing these things. So yeah. now I can go to do, do what I want. But the other kind of frightening thing about what you said, Josh, uh, is... As you describe compartmentalization, my fear, and this is uh, maybe more a reflection of my own life uh, and not meant to be uh, uh, judging other people who I don't know and I can't see their hearts, uh, my fear is that this runs pretty rampant even among Bible-believing, gospel-loving evangelicals.
2: I think it's scary. And that's why when we talk about David being in the desert at the end of verse one, as in dry and weary land where there is no water, we just ask the question a lot, have you ever been in the desert spiritually? And we all experience that, right? There's times where I'm not thirsty really for the Lord at all, but I'm still gonna do the motions and still do what I do. And I think God can even work through just me going through the motions too. I think that the spirit's not uh, hindered by that. But, But I think if, you know, bringing up the Christian life, like Charles said, I think basic questions, do you thirst for the Lord? That's not a doing thing. That's a being thing. Right, and we see David have that, which then led him saying, "My soul will be satisfied." And if you find satisfaction in something, you keep coming back to that thing, and that's why he says, "My soul clings" in verse eight. So the progression there is was helpful for me just to see it. In fact, we originally weren't going to talk; the progression was just going to be a byproduct, a, a, a side topic. But then I came back on Thursday, and I'm like, I think this needs to be the focus of that to actually see the cycle more clearly. And so we we tweaked the whole message uh, to be about the cycle because I think we all experience it based on who's at the center of my life. Is it me or savior, you know? And as a pastor though, Mm -hmm. I'm still in the cycle and I wanna be a man who is thirsty for the Lord. And there's seasons, weeks, sometimes months where it feels very dry, you know? Even as someone who has to get up and communicate God's word, Right, and so how I can see that playing out, and the negative is I could prepare a message that's for people, not for me.
0: So you talk about cycle. Can you refresh our memory when you say cycle? What is the cycle that you had brought up?
2: Yeah, we see the context of David being in the in the wilderness in the desert. But he says in verse one that my soul thirsts for you, which is God. And I think we can all we all thirst for something later we see in verse 5 that uh, my soul will be satisfied as with rich and fat food he's what he mentions right so he's found this satisfaction in the lord which then leads if you find satisfaction in him he in verse 8 my soul clings like he wants to hold tightly to to the lord and and wants his life centered on him and so i think that's the progression and it can go either way right so like if it's savior centered it'll look like what david's doing if it's self-centered it's going to look like something totally different Right, it could be I thirst for whatever. I'm finding satisfaction in whatever, therefore I'm going to cling to whatever I think's going to come through for me. You, yeah, you know what I mean. And so those are the two sides of the equation. Everyone's in it, but how it plays out will result in one of two ways. Okay. So, so let's just go ahead
0: and assume uh, that there are people listening uh, who f- realize that Jesus isn't the sole desire of their heart. He's not the place that they get satisfaction. Or uh, Charles, like you said, there's this, this huge uh, void even between the Sunday morning uh, and the church service and the rest of life, the rest of your week. Responsibility, uh, just normal life right? Right. So things that you can't just ignore,
3: you know, it's just, yeah. But yes.
0: Yes. So for somebody who says, wow, I'm not in a great place. Maybe this is why, uh, I'm not finding contentment in life. Maybe this is why I'm not finding satisfaction. Uh, I don't know, Justin, if you've got anything, uh, you'd like to add, but how do you, how do you begin to move in the right direction?
1: I think where, where I've been stuck a little bit in this conversation might go back to kind of how we started. Where it was this war within? The war within that David was more concerned about in his life or in this season of life than the wars without. And I think through this progression and even a starting point, even though you've already kind of painted a picture of this starting point, is really to move through this progression, you do have to start with an honesty and honesty about the, the actual wars that are going on within. And I think that's why we oftentimes we concern ourselves more with the wars without, the, the chaos, the craziness in this world, because there's things out of control outside of us in the world. There's things that are truly out of control within ourselves, but which one of those is easier to be honest about? Well well the the wars without. Well let's talk about what's going on in the world. Let's talk about how we can can fix that or be involved here. But there's so much that is so out of our control. We can't can't bring about world peace on, on our on our own. That's that's not something that we have power over. Can't always control Though we can be involved in participants in what our government 's going to do or what our our state is going to do in some of the different tensions that are, that are going on even in our own own circles and our in our own lives, though we consume ourselves with those things and and yet it 's easier to just live in that world of chaos and honesty as opposed to really coming to grips with the own with your own emptiness or my own emptiness. And to realize that nothing is satisfying, that nothing is is satisfying, and so I just think honesty has to play a, a role in that in that progression from beginning to end. The current state of things, where you're just you're completely uh, thirsty, and 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 the honesty that that nothing actually I've turned to in this last season is satisfying, and so really you keep continue in the chaos moving from one thing or the other, and your actually attachment or the things that you desire to cling to are short-lived because you're actually finding out that nothing has satisfied The, the the relationship or the job or the money, whatever you're looking to fulfill hasn't actually satisfied what you've been thirsting for. And could that honesty bring you back to a place in your relationship with the Lord to where you always should have been. And that's back in the presence of the Lord, just asking and pleading with him to be your satisfaction and asking and pleading with him for him to move and act in your life. And you begin to start clinging to him and to, to his promises.
0: That's good. That's good. So honesty within rather than the the focus on the things going on around you, which is, what you were saying with your quote, um,
1: yeah, and and just to add, I mean, it, it comes back to control. We like to control things, and and if we're going to be honest about things that are out of control in our in our lives, then then really we're going to have to go to someone or something something else for for help. We also don't like to ask for for help often, and so can we remain honest? And could we realize that they're actually with the help of the Holy Spirit, things that we can begin to control in our lives. Uh, you know, walk by the Spirit. You won't uh, satisfy or, or gratify the desires of, of the flesh. And that's, that's in part a big war in our lives is, is against that, the flesh. And, and that can be a picture of the, the war within. And, and so can we start to long for a control that requires the, the help of Jesus?
0: That's good. Anybody else have anything to add? Man as I look at just
3: the first phrase, it just kind of struck me, oh God, you are my God. That right there alone is a covenantal statement because God's blessing of even saving people and the promises he made to Abraham when he brought people out of Egypt, as he promises in the new covenant, as you read about in Revelation, one of the great things that he says is that I will be their God and they will be my people. And I think David is hitting on that first. God, you are my God. In other words, you made me yours and you now are the one that I am seeking. My soul is now thirsting for you. That's not natural to David. That's unnatural to David to seek the Lord. So the fact that he recognizes that God is his God he then starts listing all of these things that he has seen. And I think Josh, you talked about this, like he's seen uh, uh, past things that God had done for him that kind of encourage his heart again. Like you even asked, when in this past year, two years, have you kind of reflected on the things that God had done for you? But he currently is recognizing that even in the midst of this wilderness, the Lord is the one who's upholding him. I mean, that's what he says in verse eight. And verse seven reflects on, you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing, future, But he says, my soul clings to you now, your right hand is upholding me right now. The very thing that I'm doing is still being empowered and upheld by you and your grace, your steadfast love, which is better than life is with me even right now. And I think the hard part is, as I said, the the Sunday break into the rest of our life to understand that the rest of that life is sustained by the very steadfast love of the Lord every single day. That's why, the psalmist would pray elsewhere, satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. Every day, Lord, help me to see that your love is with me. To someone who doesn't necessarily think that way, I think Justin's, I mean, you have to have an honesty and a, a, pleading with the Lord to even start that desire within you because it's not coming from you. You are not mandating this desire in you. It is coming from the Lord as you reflect upon him. As you said, Josh, about him, beholding him in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, right? When you see those things, it only drives a greater desire. And perhaps it is just asking the Lord, Lord, show me more of who you are. Show me in your word, wonderful things that I can know about you. Show me throughout my day, things that you have done and help me to be thankful for those little things that you're doing, air quote little, because they're massive. I mean, he's sustaining you currently uh, in grace and mercy, but yet we forget those things because it is not something that explodes into our life. It is the mundane things that we go through, like dealing with kids that are crying at four in the morning or just something of frustration of not being able to go to sleep, tossing and turning, whatever it is, and you're like, this is awful. Even in those moments, David says, I meditate on you in the watches of the night. Like even if I wake up and I don't wanna be, I'm still gonna be meditating on you.
0: Yeah, I I really like uh, that you brought that out. The idea uh, that even in the difficulty in the desert, David's running uh, and things are not right in the world, he still sees God's hand upholding him. And I know for me, that's always been a struggle. And it's only recently that I've been able to identify that's. That's a lack of faith. Uh, there, there is a reality in being able to admit everything is not right in the world. Uh, and that's honest to be able to admit that rather than just closing your eyes and saying, everything's fine. But there is also um, an amount of faith that I think is required or asked of us as Christians to be able to look the world in the face, say everything is not right, but God is still upholding me. Yeah, I'm going through this battle with a sickness and that's not right, but God's still upholding me. Yeah, I'm on the run from my son who has taken over the kingdom. This is probably not anybody in our listening audience's scenario, but but God is still <laughs> upholding me. Uh, and even in the, the the big difficulties in life or the little difficulties of life to acknowledge the reality of, yes, everything is not right in the world, yet I trust and I affirm that God is upholding me. And I've always struggled personally with the God is upholding me in this. Uh, and I think it's really been that for me is, is, is a key. Uh, recently, I feel like I've just found a lot of contentment in the Lord. Uh, and it's not because the world got better. Uh, it's because I feel like by faith, I was able to say, yeah, God is still upholding me. Um, so- for what it's worth. Uh, I, I appreciate that part of the Psalm.
2: I think we, you know, how to break the cycle is a and start a new pattern, a new rhythm. You know, Charles mentioned these things aren't natural to us, which is so true. That's why we have desert experiences because we don't always spiritually desire the things, that, the things of the Lord. We live in a world that's broken and we walk around in a broken flesh that desires the opposite of what David actually is desiring here. And I think it's just acknowledging. And on, when I talk about the, the just to mention the honesty piece, honest about what? I think mean, honest about where you've tried to find satisfaction and you know it hasn't worked. Yeah. Like just tell someone that. Make a list of the ways that you've, with honesty, that you've tried to find satisfaction because what you'll find is what we've all found. And it's like a prison cell, honestly. In fact, I call it like living on the cell block of dumbness that we look for things that we look at things that don't satisfy, hoping that somehow this next time they'll satisfy. I do it all the time. You know what I mean? I'm dumb sometimes, you know, like those things were never meant to actually do what you want to get out of them. Yeah. I still keep going to those things, you know? And so I think there's an honesty to say, these are the ways that, that I pursue some kind of satisfaction and I'm never getting where I want to get even saying that to yourself is it would be a wild experience yeah. of awareness.
3: I find it interesting that you say that we're dumb because I think, well, then we're insanely dumb because even the wisest man, Solomon, you mentioned in yeah. Ecclesiastes <laughs> did that very thing himself. I gave out my heart to everything and yeah. I went to this and this and this and this and it was chasing after the wind. So if he's the wisest
0: dumb guy, then we're Super Super dumb. dumb. Right, right. Would you even put double chocolate almond ice cream on that list of places you've done?
2: I'm pretty positive when you get into the pearly gates, it's going to be, here's a a double scoop. Double (laughs) scoop. I like it. I'm not going to have to guess the flavor. I'm just going (laughs) to know. All right. Well,
0: uh, I think we've gone a little bit over today, uh, but we want to thank you for joining us here on The Post. If you haven't already, we'd encourage you to click follow, subscribe, or like on your podcasting app to make sure you get notified when we release an episode. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear those. Just connect with us via email, info at redemptionmi.org, or you can send us a message on social media, at redemptionmi on Facebook or redemptionchurchmi on Instagram.